Hi, my name is Jesse Cadden, and I've devoted my life to figuring out what goes into making great albums. I've produced over a thousand records, written two books, and recorded hundreds of podcasts pursuing the hidden secrets of how great music gets to the world's ears. Now I'm proud to present Inside the Album, where we get to go deeper on how your favorite artists have made the amazing albums in their catalog. We will hear firsthand from the musicians and the team behind them that helped craft these records while getting to know the little secrets that go into making great music. On this episode, we're going to go inside Han's Love Me, Love Me Not LP. Han is an electronic duo based out of Taki Daki Studios in the bow part of East London. Starting off their career with three EPs that caught a lot of people's ears, they soon put out their debut LP, Warm on a Cold Night, in the summer of 2016 through their own Tatamai recordings. It featured songs that captured listeners in clubs across the world like Someone That Loves You and the album's title track. The group released their second album, Love Me, Love Me Not, through Atlantic. So they joined me in Atlantic Studios in New York City to discuss it. I'm going to let them introduce themselves and catch us up on what they've been up to since their last album came out. We sound very similar, but I am Andy from Hon. And I am James from Hon. <laughs> okay, so since our first debut album, Warm on a Cold Night, came out, we have been touring. We've spent a lot of time on the road, over in the US, Asia, UK and Europe, got that all out the way. And then we kind of sat down and started writing for the next album. We didn't take too much time off. Very proud of our first album, but we always knew we had more to offer. We didn't really have any sort of pressure the first album went well and we like have sort of had a great time going around on tour and to like obviously have had a certain amount of success it never blew up so we never had the pressure of like coming or like having to yeah like we never that. had a song that was suddenly picked up on radio all around the world and or like became a top 10 in america or anything like that it's always been a slow but steady grower kind of thing. I think it's a different kind of game you're playing. We just want to carry on writing as good music as we can and hope that people carry on enjoying it and following it. I think for the first album, we kind of sat down and were like, right, what can we do to make a cohesive album? And we like used loads of 808 you know, drums and The Prophet and my vocal with like a slapback delay on it. And that formed the basis of the first album. But with this one, we're like, okay, that was all kind of one dimensional. How can we now just be as varied as possible, but still have a cohesive album? And we realized the voice, one of the things that we're just going to tie it all together so we could afford to experiment musically a bit more, which is what we did. Every album is always a reaction to the record before, but oftentimes that reaction is to just keep finding who you are and do it better. And the guys are going to explain a little bit about how they did that with this record. So our band name is a Japanese word, which means true feelings, true intention. It's a huge part of the Japanese culture, and it's things that you keep to yourself, so that you only probably would share with a really close friend. And then there's a flip side to that, which is tatamai, which is the feelings that you display in public. So there's always been like a two-sides element. So Han is our name, tatamai is like our label that we set up. So we've always had this two sides, and we wanted to kind of go into that a bit deeper but we weren't sure we wrote one of the last songs that ended up on the album called forget me not and there's a lyric in there or like a line that says she loves me she loves me not she loves me she loves me not and we kind of thought it perfectly summarized this two sides element and then from that that kind of formed the concept of the album and we picked the songs from there i don't know like a lot of the 30 songs that we've written we're proud of and could have easily ended up on the album they had to fit into this concept yeah there's still some that 
we wanted to go on the first album and then we were like these are definitely going to go on the second album and then we were like maybe the third album <laughs> maybe the fifth you just heard them talk about their own label, Tatamai, which Atlantic licenses each release through. I next turned to Jordan Whitmore, who handles A&R for the group, to find out a little bit about how that relationship came to be. So I heard them for the first time. I think I walked into my friend's office and he was playing their music. Instantly it grabbed me. I was like, holy shit, this is something for me or something that I'm going to be into. So I kind of chased him down to send it to me. There was nothing online at the time. And he did. Then the following day, by coincidence, Guillaume, who manages the band, hit me up and said, have you heard this, have you heard this band? I was like, oh, actually, yeah, I have. I heard it yesterday. So from that point, we kind of met up a few times and just talked about what the best thing to them to do is and built a relationship. It, it was became apparent that we were all kind of on the same page in terms of like how they would launch and we had a quite clear idea in terms of like steps they should take and the way they should approach the live shows for example in like underplaying and playing few shows and, and selling them out and making to do it that way which has kind of you know been a really strong point for them we just kind of needed to get to a point where they were putting stuff out into the world and like we we're trying to figure out what the best way to launch was and for them I think they put a record out on a, a small label called Super which I think contextualized them. It really helped them to come from somewhere, coming on that label. And that just went really, really well. And from that point, it kind of went off and we signed them during that time period, really. And now Jordan's going to explain a little bit more about the two sides concept, but from a different angle. Yeah, I think the thing that we'd noticed during the, the first record is that Horn are a band of two sides, really. The mantra for the first record was kind of like, an, it was like a nighttime thing and songs like The Night were really successful for them, obviously Warm and a Cold Night and, and those records. So I think when it came to this, it was like, okay, well, maybe we can bring it a little bit, we can take it a little bit further in terms of like into the daytime in a way. And that's kind of where two sides of this record, the Love Me, Love Me Not came from. It was like, okay, well, there's kind of this side and some, you know, these songs seem to naturally fit some of them into more kind of daytime, a beat thing. And, and some of them are just naturally fitting in the, into the nighttime. So I think for a while they were working on that and just, you know, songs before would naturally just fall into one or the other. I think that really works for them. And then I think at the very end of the process, they wrote a song, Forget Me Not, which is where the love me, love me not thing came from. So yeah, really, I think it was just like a, let's step it up and, and, and play to their strengths. They're really, really good one side and the other side. Do you know what I mean? It's like, instead of falling into the middle, let's really understand what it is that people like about one thing and the other thing and really play to that. I think one one turning point in the making of this record or the thing that gave the band and, and all of us confidence that they were in the right path was that Super Dupes, the producer who's produced a lot for Drake and Shakira and just done it, he's got, you know, a huge CV, came and sat down and played him a bunch of music and at the time we were talking about maybe them working together or him, them working with other people and his response was, you don't need to work with anyone else, you're doing something great here. We played him day one and he said people will love this record because it doesn't sound like anything else like it's got a unique sound and i think at that point it allowed them to understand that actually they are doing something they're on the right track that their records sound unique to them and that's what they need to be doing is something that sounds fresh and unique and doesn't sound like anyone else so i think that was yeah that was one definitely a turning point what makes electronic music acts different from almost every other genre of music is most of them right on the road all the time since they just need a laptop but that's not the case with these guys. 
It's kind of a separate thing, I would say. We have the hopeful thinking that, yeah, we're going to write a load on tour because, you know, we'll have a load of time on the tour bus whilst traveling. But ultimately, it just it never really happens. I think for us, when we get stuck into it, we're quite, I don't think this sounds arrogant, but like prolific in terms of our output is high. Like we, we really go in on it. And so I think we're kind of safe to not have to be one of those bands with like a trailer attached to the back with all the recording studio stuff in it. And <laughs> yeah. If we toured super hard, then I guess that's that's the point when you really, really have to do that. But at the moment, we're able to come back and we enjoy like traveling and getting inspired when we're away and seeing all these new places and then getting home and having all these new inspirations to put into the music. Yeah, I think so if we wrote the album, our first album, then toured it and wrote the next one whilst we were touring, I just, there would be no inspiration. It would just be like loads of songs that didn't really mean anything or... <laughs> so it's nice to have a little break and as James said, just get inspired by things. For us, we tend to have little ideas that are there or like recorded shitly. We tend to like go in <laughs> recorded shitly. to it. We go into it from the word go and like, not that we haven't got imagination, but we always like to produce something as much as possible from the start. Yeah, it's often the production that inspires. It can just be four chords and a beat. We just want it to sound like people don't really know how it was made. We like sounds like that. If it sounds unique and like us, then that's enough to inspire a whole song almost, isn't it? Um, rather than like loads of making loads of little bits on planes and in the back of tour buses feeling sick. Yeah, and, or, yeah. or rather than like sitting down with an acoustic guitar and trying to come up with a vocal. We don't, we tend not to do that. No. When we're working from our homes, it can be so fast. Like if you just come up with a, an idea that we both like, it can be even within a day or two days, a song is completely finished and almost ready to like mix in a way, can't yeah. it? The most noticeable change on this record from the last one is all the great collaborations they have and hearing so many different voices throughout the record. So I wanted to get a little insight on how that happened. Another different step we've taken from the first record is that we've worked with more people on this album. On the last album, we I don't even think from the like 12 tracks that we put out, they were all from us, weren't they? Yeah, apart from the Izzy Bazoo. Oh uh, yeah, apart from oh, the, maybe. yeah, Someone That Loves You. But with this album, yeah, we've worked with, whether it's a musician, like a piano player, a guy called Ruben James, we've wrote a few tracks with him. There's a producer called Nana Rogues, who we wrote a track with, and just like other artists as well, like Georgia, Anna of the North. So that Tom was, Mish. Yeah, Tom Mish. So that was different for us, because suddenly having your own idea of what you are and going into a room with someone else and like sharing that is difficult in a way, because... You don't want to be judged. Like you, you get comfortable writing <laughs> yeah. in your own space, and then having to like open up can be a little bit sort of uncomfortable. I'd, I'd yeah. say. Even if that's like lyrical ideas or musical ideas, like you have to, you have to be willing to suggest something and be shot down. Yeah. <laughs> like that's it's a thing. It's a real thing, isn't it? Yeah. I was then curious about how they got in touch with all these different collaborators, since there's such a vast range of them on this record. Like we released the first album and we toured loads and we met so many people by doing that and had been speaking for so long to people on Twitter 
and Instagram and stuff. One of our best experiences from the last album was Someone That Loves You. Like that was really fun and went really well. So we just thought we should be like hooking up with these people and seeing what we can bring to each other's music. And yeah, it felt like a natural thing to do. It wasn't like if we combine all our fans, we're going to have a mega hit. It was just, <laughs> yeah, because like a lot of the people on it are not, they're not like people with enormous profiles or anything. We're not just trying to get a big name on the record. Yeah, it's all people that we really respect and want to get their influence on a track kind of thing. Yeah. And just bumping into them at festivals and yeah, playing on the same bill as people happens a lot. And this is Jordan Whitmore talking a little bit about how the label pushed the band to outdo the last record. At the period that they had been writing, where they'd been on the road, I think lyrically the songs were very in, in a similar vein to the first record. And, and just generally, they were kind of a mid-tempo. Uh, and a few of those, I don't think any of those songs actually ended up being on the record that they had written that first time. So it kind of came from a, that point of challenging themselves and stepping the music up and really having a point of view with it. The whole thing got rethought. From there, the collaboration thing started and we introduced them to Georgia. Nana rogues because we all love passion fruit so much uh, the drake song that he produced and wrote they had met tom mish anna of the north and becca and a few other people on the road that they ended up working with so yeah i think it was there was a challenge of getting them on board with not getting them on board but like let's get out of the comfort zone of you guys in a room and take it out and, and explore the world really it kind of came in two phases. I think they'd been on tour. They toured a lot all over the world on the back of the first album and had been writing songs in the time that they were in the UK. And after, you know, it maybe been nine months since the first record came out, they came and sat down and played us a bunch of music. And we listened and it was like, I think our words to them at the time was like, this music's great and the songwriting is always great but it sounds a bit like you need to go away and challenge yourselves a little bit more they're kind of making music that was comfortable for them i think because they're so talented and they're so able as producers and with each other they're so comfortable like it was easy for them to exist in their own bubble in a way and make music with each other so our guidance really at that point was like okay go away, challenge us, challenge yourselves. You know, the first record they'd done on their own and it had been the two of them in a room, so we wanted to make it a little bit more collaborative on the second record. People they'd met on the road, people that we had, so Ruben... James, I think they had met on a plane or he had hit them up somehow. They'd met and got on. He was Sam Smith's keyboard player. So they started working with him. He brought in quite a lot of like more jazzy elements to what they're doing. He's like a jazz player, really. So just some different chords and like some ideas in there that then allowed them, I think inspired them to just take it a little bit further into like experimentation. And then when it came back around to doing writing the more simple songs, they had moved on and that whole the level of everything really went up so it, for us it was kind of a guidance in like challenge yourselves challenge the world because it's hard these days and i think when you come back with your second album it needs to take a big step up and they really stepped up to that challenge i think you heard jordan mention reuben james here he's one of the main collaborators on this record so i want to hear a little bit more about him so he's this insanely talented jazz pianist He's a bit of a prodigy, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I don't know. Basically, he comes in and just goes crazy. We've got a piano downstairs <laughs> in like part of our studio. We've got a few keyboards upstairs, and he'll just like instantly go and running around, and be like, oh, "I'm just going to play this now." You kind of have, have like, to tie him down yeah. and be like, "Okay, 
Hang on, those last four chords, play them again. Yeah. Stop playing something <laughs> he's else. He's like a wild animal. Yeah. <laughs> just like goes and just does anything. And you're like, there's gold. Everything that he's doing is gold. And we've got to find him and stop him <laughs> before he forgets what he just did. It's been great working with him. He like pushes the boundaries for us a little bit. And yeah, particularly like harmonically, his knowledge of chords is absolutely incredible. That's been really, really good fun for us. It's nice also to, to be able to direct someone produce it more yeah exactly and this is reuben james talking about their collaboration together so i got to know the Han guys through mutual friends that hooked us up because i fell in love with their song warm on a cold night and uh we're back and forth kind of talking about working together and i actually met andy in tokyo randomly and uh we went out for hot toddies i introduced him to hot toddies we kind of just kept hanging out and i kept bumping into them around london and they were always kind of wearing polar necks and hanging out in cool coffee shops but we never actually got to write anything together for at least a couple of years they told me they were working on their new album and they were like Ruben come to the studio we went around to Andy's house and he's got a wicked little setup there it's um it's such a great environment to write music we finally got to make some music and the very first song we wrote is day one which is a lot of hype right now especially over in Asia and the views are just kind of ridiculous so that was the first thing we did together and we've kind of had a hundred percent rate since then like we did another two sessions after that and we wrote another two songs on that album together forget me not and i might those are the three songs that i co-wrote on the record my world where i come from jazz and obviously working and writing with sam smith the pop side they were kind of like they wanted me to just come in and give them dope dope jazz chords so they could kind of straddle the line between jazz and pop and they do it perfectly better than anyone else really so yeah and that's a kind of the trio they brought me into their world and works perfect they keep me from going to jazz So hearing a bit about their process, it sounds like it kind of starts all over the place. So I wanted to get a little clarity on how a song actually comes to be. Yeah, maybe drums. I mean, we always tend to like just put a beat down, whether it's very basic, but just to like get a tempo. Yeah. And then start playing some chords. Although it's sample, it's quite samples as well now. So we like we use a site called Splice. Have you heard of that? And just like mess with samples i want to say fuck samples I don't know and like reverse them and pitch them up and down pitch them up and then bounce them and then pitch them back down and stretch them just like do anything you can to make it sound as abnormal as you can yeah then i think what we do is like i know it's terrible but i'm sure so many people do it either put like just a vinyl sample underneath just like a field recording so like the sound of a street like ambience yeah, or, or like in a forest night. yeah yeah, yeah. Then you start imagining things and you can sort of picture yourself somewhere because I think then it's easier to yeah, start thinking about lyrics. It's more like filmic than I'm in a studio. Yeah, you're like listening to it thinking, not thinking I'm in a studio and I need to write a song. You're just like, what's going to sound nice over this? Yeah. In this ambience. Then we tend to... Just well, leave it there. <laughs> yeah, go, go, to to the, go to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> so I write the lyrics and melodies and things like that. So I prefer doing that by myself when there's like a finished instrumental but sometimes that's not possible like if you're in a room with people it's always good to just try and smash it out although often we do just someone will come if it's a musician or producer kind of type then we often will finish an instrumental before we start lyrics <laughs> i think it kills it killed ruben didn't it he's like please can we do some top line please and yeah like, no. and i'm trying to just finish the instrumental because i just want to work on the top line by yeah. myself um <laughs> Yeah, so it varies. It depends on the situation. 
A lot of what improves the quality of an album is having a large body of songs to choose from, especially with electronic music today. So I wanted to get some insight on the body of work they had to cut down from. It's more that I would say more than a lot of other people we know, we finish tracks fully to the point where we can show people them and they don't sound like a demo anymore. Yeah, so we tend to finish the songs fully. Like a lot of artists, they'll just have like a, you know, piano and a vocal and, and like that's enough to get a grasp of whether it's a good song or not yeah. most of the time. But we just like, we do the whole thing. And uh, we had about 30 songs to pick from. Yeah, I'm sure some of the ones that didn't make it on the album will be heard because they're all finished and kind of ready to be mixed and then ready to go. While big changes from album to album are often conceptual and just the fact of growing as an artist, it could also be a huge difference to change the software you use when you make electronic music. So one of the biggest changes is, it came about when we were in LA, we came over to meet some people and do some sessions and maybe a gig. We did a gig and then stayed there, didn't we? Oh yeah, Coachella. And everyone we had sessions with was using Ableton and we were still in Logic. And we were like, what's going on? Why is everyone? And we were just watching their workflow, particularly this guy called Jonah Christian, who co-produced one of the tracks with us called Shrink. It was just amazing how quickly he was doing everything and using drum racks and stuff like that. It just that has been a massive change for me just making my own i know you can do it in logic but it just doesn't seem as logical i don't want to put a drum rack on a keyboard like on a keyboard sampler yeah. thing and then play i don't know it feels weird it feels wrong because i always thought it was more for a live kind of thing and coming up with ideas but it's exactly the same for recording it literally just I find it easier than using Logic. I know it's just the, the other way around. All the tracks are on the right instead of on the left. That's it. It's often thought that so many of these electronic groups' records are just a DIY operation these days, but it turns out they turn to somebody else to handle the mixing duties. A guy called David Wrench, who is... I mean, when I say he's a wizard, I'm not even joking. He actually looks like a wizard. But he's, he's amazing. Yeah, he's incredible, and he just makes it all sound so good. And we really wanted to use one person to again get like a cohesive sounding album which we'd not done on the first record there was kind of different mixes i think we were all quite surprised at how he could turn his hand to any type of song it would always just come back sounding exactly as we wanted to he's just done mixes for bands that we love very much so like the xx bank of jungle loads of people and it's just very cool bands and yeah. yeah, we thought, okay. We knew he'd do a good job. Yeah, exactly. But thought, we've not met him actually yet. So it's a, No, we've it's, spoken on the phone. Yeah, we have. He's very polite and very nice. He is, but nice we man. really just love to meet the people that are working on our stuff purely because... They tell you all their secrets. <laughs> yeah, we want to yeah. find out what he's doing. So yeah, we'll we'll meet him at some point soon and hopefully we'll be able to like tell the you. Last, on the last record, we, we used a mix engineer called Wes Clark and he's great and he's so like matter of fact, not into like trying to make you think that there's something mysterious behind what he's doing he just clearly knows how to use the stuff he's using we'd been in like debates with other like mix engineers who worked on the album and they're like i don't know how he's getting his mixes as loud as he is without them sounding like overly compressed and stuff and they were like he must be have like this big bit of hardware from old radio stations or something and then we asked him we were like how do you get it so loud and he's like oh it's just a fab filter pro l with the just on the default setting with the volume up <laughs> plus three and then you go into a mastering suite and it's they do all the eqing and everything and all the multi-band stuff or whatever and then it's on the computer it's like fab filter pro l just cranked up a little bit 
It'll always be my day one Day zero when I was no one I'm nothing by myself You are no one else Thankful you're my Next, I wanted to have them start to give us some insight on how some of the songs on the record came to be. We're going to start with the song Day One. Okay, so Day One was written with the gentleman who interrupted the interview, Reuben James. And it, that was the first thing we wrote with him, wasn't it? Yeah. It all just sort of started on the piano, I think, that one. We do this thing with Reuben where we spend a long time coming up with the first thing so we go through loads of different things and we think we're getting close to finding the thing that's going to start the song chord sequence keyboard sounds that kind of stuff that can influence how the song's going to end up kicking off kind of thing yeah and it's it's kind of like you might be playing a chord sequence on the roads and it's like that's good but it's not right so then he'll play the same chords on another sound on the profit and then it's like okay it's getting there but can you play the fourth chord first instead and then it's just like a process yeah like that we won't just settle on something be like oh, let's see if we can make this work we'll keep coming up with things until we all feel that this could end up being something really special yeah which is i guess kind of unusual just to base that on a few chords yeah. and a sound yeah this was on a piano to start with and we recorded him playing the piano parts it's all recorded on an iphone just i was holding it near i think or resting on the piano sat down by him with a click on upstairs yeah you coming out the speakers yeah so if you soloed the piano track on the stem you'd, yeah you'd hear like a clap or like a Keeping snare sample yeah and james going lovely or <laughs> yeah so yeah just, wonderful yeah loads of stuff yeah and then we we just looped it and let him he sort of like sits there and looks at you constantly because he doesn't need to know where his hands are going because he's just he just can feel it tries loads of different things and it's like how'd you like that you know just <laughs> seeing your gauging your reaction we just carried on working on the instrumental that day and i think i was thinking about lyrics and stuff i think we had the chorus by the end of the day and then you know a couple of days later or whatever i came up with the verses and mid late and recorded all that and then we worked on it some more and then we on the first album we worked with a choir called the house gospel choir and we got them in again because they're all amazing and just pick it up super quick so we got them on for the end of the song and in the choruses as well yeah hearing mention of a choir i had to ask if this was also recorded in their home studio because we work from our like studios that are just at our flats in london but anything like a choir we have to go into a, an actual studio to record so we went to, uh, livingston studios it's called in London and we've done most of our yeah bits that we need to there it's really it's really fun getting to go into the studio at some point to do something that feels legit <laughs> well the recording at home so also on the the like pad sounds on the chorus I don't think there's even any profit in the choruses no which is normally our go-to yeah just for clarification that's a Dave Smith profit 08 or Rev2, or uh, Mofo. <laughs> it's a, yeah, so it's actually Ruben just singing ours with, he like layered up every note from all the chords, and we kind of just looped him, and then he'd sing the next one, and then the next one, the next one, the next one, with a ton of auto-tune on, so it's just absolutely bang on. 
and then the choir kind of imitated that on the chorus as well to just because when you like recording a choir with so you have a few mics like dotted around and then you have the kind of like stereo pairs of mics that are stereo and are really wide and that just when you put that in the on the record it just makes it really open up all around your ears it feels like yeah it's very nice a nice thing as a song in it was kind of an easy one to get through. Some are a lot harder than the yeah. day one was. So it's just purely a, like a song about loyalty and, and being with someone for for a long time. Like I've been with my girlfriend for over 10 years now and we've been together since before we were in this band. So it's, yeah, it's about that, just kind of being with someone from the start. And this is Ruben to talk a little bit about making the song. Day one kind of came quite organically. You know, Andy and James had the dope concept about someone being your day one, being there from the very start kind of thing. So I immediately jumped on the piano. There's a little piano downstairs. Uh, it's kind of an old school piano. And we kind of would record it on the iPhone. And that's actually the same recording that we used on the track. Just me messing around on the piano uh, for day one. And they'd always put me on a load of different synths, get me on the Dave Smith Prophet. And I just go mental for like a couple of hours and then they just choose all the best bits usually the best songs come super fast and day one yeah it came rapid The next song we talked about is Crying Over You, which has one of my favorite working titles of all time. Crying Over You has been... So yeah. it was, uh, it's been a long time in the making. Four yeah. years. Is it? No, it can't be four years. Three. I think about that. So we wrote this around the same time as we wrote a song called No Place Like Home, which came out on an EP in 2015, I think. Andy was in Japan. I'd come up with this little weird sounding interlude thing. Yeah, what was it called? It just Krill. Had, Krill, yeah. Church Rave in London, it stood for. It? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds ravey, but it's got gospel-y chords underneath. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound anything like a church rave in London anymore. No, it doesn't. Trust me. And it just had this one tiny bit of melody. It was like... And it was me singing it like that, but pitched up. That was my only input on that song, I think. Well, yeah. So from, it was enough to get the ball rolling. So I, yeah, I just loved that instrumental that he had written, but it was just a bit too weird. So <laughs> I took it, I opened it in Logic at the time is what we were using. And I think I maybe took that element as like a melody and then reharmonized it. And I was listening to Robert Glasper a lot at that time. And um, I think that's kind of where it all like all the harmonization or like the chords progression came from. And yeah, then wrote some lyrics for that. I had a first verse and the choruses, but never had a second verse. Because I think the intention was for it to be a song, like it was intended to be a collaboration where you're talking about a breakup and it's you've got the guy's perspective and we always wanted to get like the girl's perspective. We just never ever got around to it. just sat there waiting it. for a collaboration. It's hard to approach another artist to say we've got this idea C 
can you go along with everything that we're trying to to force it upon someone so i don't know some people are open to it some people just want to like write something with you from scratch yeah but you ended up so we worked more on the production the other thing we felt was it was a like the beat was good and everything but it was a bit sort of middle of the road at the time wasn't it it was too chilled it wasn't really exciting us as much as we wanted it to be we wanted it to sound more electronic so we worked more on the production and it went through various different stages until we were like actually this is this sounding pretty good now you wrote a second verse for it and it's ended up being the backing vocalist that we're touring with now she's singing like she's called becca and her voice is absolutely incredible yeah it's really like elevated the track and she sings the chorus with andy as well yeah it's just really stepped it up a notch sometimes i'm stupid Sometimes I'm fucking hard work Sometimes I'm the worst person I only know how to hurt Sometimes I'm scared Next I had them talk about the making of the song Sometimes. This started off earlier james mentioned that we were in la for a week like doing sessions with other people between coachella and there was a day i think it was the first day all the sessions got cancelled basically great start right well what do we do now and we were very badly prepared we didn't even have laptops did we not no, no i honestly just don't know why we didn't have laptops no i think all i think it was actually after coachella the band and our tm and crew had gone back to London with all the gear and we just gave them the laptop. Which seems bizarre because yeah, we stupid. carry them with us constantly. Yeah, stupid. Anyway, so we had all all we had was our phones and one key. Did we have the keyboard? The Prophet? Yeah. But we couldn't use it because we didn't have an interface or anything or a laptop. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Anyway, we had this day. All the sessions got cancelled. We thought, what are we going to do? Our manager texted us a link to an article about Steve Lacey, who was writing, you know, or doing loads of different sessions and had written for lots of great people. And it was talking about how he just used his phone, like garage band and a guitar and, you know, making beats. Yeah, he'd just written a beat for one of Kendrick. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, if Steve Lacey can do it, I'm sure we can give it a good go. <laughs> so yeah, we basically just downloaded GarageBand and we sat on a sofa, not too dissimilar to this, like side by side, headphones <laughs> on, just working on different ideas. And yeah, sometimes it came from, from that. There was like a, a piano sample that I just put into the sampler plugin that they have and just rearranged it, chopped it up and then put yeah, a beat underneath cool. it. I was like, okay, this is kind of a cool idea. Like at least we've done something and then, I don't know, two months <laughs> later found it again when we were back in London and worked on it some more. So we always felt like this, we wanted it to be a bit of a journey, this song. It's one that, so at the start there's, it's one of the only songs where we've used, like really used auto-tune, like the effects of auto-tune to do something quite strange with your voice yeah. like making a vocodery kind of sound at the start and it grows up into the verse and the choruses and then there's sort of a big outro that builds and builds and builds to the end in the chorus we wanted to put horns and woodwind as well so we went back to livingston studios for that and a guy called mike lesurge like arranged some the part is that his name yeah arranged some parts for us and did an amazing job and between two of them these two guys him and his mate they played trumpet trombone flugelhorn flute clarinet sax (laughs) yeah they just like play together two instruments and then go back pick up another two like layer it up again it's never the same brass i swear is just the worst for 
fake brass that just couldn't sound any worse. There might be some good sample packs. I don't know, we really want it to be like very breathy and... To have control to be, yeah, to say to them like, can you also do some noodling? Just so like, you know, just in the gaps and have them all panning around and yeah. You don't get the, the flair that comes with someone who knows what sounds amazing on these these kind of things. Next, you're going to hear some memories from the singer Georgia, who collaborated with them on the song Location Unknown. It came through my publisher at Domino, knew James and Andy's publisher at Atlantic, and I immediately just said yes. I sort of don't really do much collaboration. I'm quite mysterious in that respect it was my first sort of collaboration just going there and pushing myself even though it came through our publishers it sort of felt like we had known each other for quite a long time just with without knowing each other I think for me that's when you know that the music that's going to come out of that is going to feel it's most natural like when you get on as people and and it's not it's not something that's been forced it's just like we get on so after the initial sort of meetup, Andy and James had come up with sort of some kind of musical idea and they played it to me and we just sort of developed that really and we weren't too much thinking about the story or the narrative of the song we were just kind of creating like an interesting eight bar loop where we could kind of get a sense of the vocals or the melody that was in the first session we all went away and we bounced what we had which was like this kind of like two minute idea all went away and we thought about it a bit more got back together again for a second session and in that time Andy and James had sort of structured it in a way and I laid down a vocal idea and a narrative kept formed that was like two people that speaking to one another like Andy singing and me singing and that kind of formed this narrative of like perhaps these are two people that are in a relationship but far away. And now Ruben's going to tell us some memories of the record including two other songs I Might and Forget Me Not. I'd actually been using this dope technique when I was working out in LA with my friend Nick Littlemore from Empire of the Sun and Pniao, and my friends Nate Fox and Donny Trumpet as well that work like with Chance, they do this thing where put the beat in half time and then solo over it. So we kind of had the sick beat that had come together. I was beatboxing on our mic and we kind of had a cool chord sequence and a cool beat, but we're struggling with the melody. So I was like, yo, put the whole thing in half time and just try singing. And Andy was like, are you sure? Is this going to work? And I was like, bro, just lose the inhibitions just do it he wasn't really up for it at first but then he did it and then we sped the whole thing back up to real time and then that was the exact same melody that we ended up using on our mic and it was just his improvised melody that he used on the halftime thing and then we sped it up and it was perfect so of course they had me on all the synths and stuff and it's weird because James is like a beast at guitar he's like one of my favourite guitars but they actually let me play guitar on my and on um, Forget Me Not as well so and we actually pitched down the guitar to sound like a bass so i was actually playing bass but on the guitar was 
as well for Armite, which was pretty cool. And I think they left one of the intros to the whole album on Armite is like a whole piano kind of cadenza type thing that they've left on the record. So on Forget Me Not, I'm actually rapping like in a kind of American accent type thing. I always assumed they were going to get some kind of dope rapper in, but, you know, everyone liked it, so... They actually kept my voice on the track and same with day one, there might be some BVs in there and something, but. Say hello to Tokyo. I can see myself living right here. I could lose you in Shibuya. Close your eyes and watch me. Lastly, I wanted to know what some of their collaborators thought made them unique. So here's Jordan talking a little bit about that. It's kind of like an international sound in a way. I think that their music doesn't really have any borders. I think it's quite an inclusive thing without being middle of the road. I think that's really where their strength lies, along with having the records and the live thing for that band are two very different beasts the live thing is like live drums almost like gospel kind of thing and the records have always been these more electronic things so i think actually the play between those two has really brought audiences because when people hear the songs they're amazing songwriters and the, the records all sound amazing and you come and see the live thing and it's something completely different and I, I really think that that's enabled them to tour all over the world and just build a real global audience just through that really and here's Ruben talking a little bit about their sound and why it's so appealing to him. They tick all the boxes for me, like everything I love, soul, R&B, jazz. It's a mountain pot and they just absolutely smash it. It kind of reminds me of Tom Meshot. I did some work on his recent album as well. You know, they evoke that same kind of warm, soulful emotion in their music, like you know, the first time I heard Warm on a Cold Night, I was nearly in tears, like, that song, like, I've always been a big fan, and then to get to work with them, it's just a dream come true, really. And now we're all just, like, best mates, so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of jokes. But they're super soulful guys. And lastly, here's Georgia giving us a little bit of a glimpse of their personality behind the scenes. Yeah, I think they're just, like, super knowledgeable about music. I mean, that's why we really gone because... You have to be a bit geeky about it. I'm quite geeky when it comes to music. I'm almost like an encyclopedia. Like, I've just listened to music since the age of I can remember. When it comes to referencing what sound we want to do, you know, I found it very similar in that they could just be like, oh, yeah, boom, like Stevie Wonder's blah, 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 or like, oh, yeah, John Coltrane, or I think that's why... We really got on well. James is quite cheeky, so while Andy is sort of... They each take it in turns in front of the computer, and while one another is by the computer, the other one is slightly sort of being cheeky behind their backs. It's like a really interesting insight into a duo because there's a lot of love there, and I think that's why they are successful as they are. I think they just... There's a lot of love. It was really nice to just step into that for a bit and be part of that. Thank you for listening. You can find all the episodes of Inside the Album on your favorite podcast app. 
Hans LP, Love Me, Love Me Not is out now.